0: And the talk just keeps on coming. You can do anything. You can say anything you want to say. TalkZone.com.
1: Good day. Welcome to Healthy Talk Radio. I'm Deborah Ray. Well, this is amazing. 67% of Australian men, 50% of women over the age of 25, overweight or obese. And a leading Australian nutritional doctor says it's time to tell Australian airlines to charge people who are taking up more than their fair share for more than one seat. It's what we do on a regular basis. We focus on health freedom with our friends over at the American Association for Health Freedom. Not only health freedom for you and me as healthcare care consumers, but for our practitioners as well. Uh, their website, healthfreedom.net, brings uh, Pam Copper, a well-known uh, healthcare care practitioner, uh, to join us today to talk about various states' issues regarding health care freedom, right here on Healthy Talk Radio.
0: Now, the news and views about the news you won't hear anywhere else. The Healthy Talk Radio News Digest.
1: Very interesting, and it comes on the heels of a long-term study funded by the European Union done at Newcastle University in Great Britain. That was the study that came out just in the, the last two weeks, indicating that if you went organic... Ate organic. Uh, In terms of organic dairy, you were getting up to 80% more antioxidants than conventional dairy, and organic fruits and vegetables up to 40% more nutrients than eating conventional fruits and vegetables. The good news doesn't stop there because, according to the Brits over the weekend, the Netherlands, Louis Boik, B-O-L-K Institute found that women who ate organic dairy while pregnant had children that had a lot less allergies and a lot less eczema. Quote, there was a clear relationship between organic dairy use and less eczema and less allergy. They didn't particularly find that relationship in terms of uh, pregnant women eating organic fruits and vegetables but they say there is a clear relationship between mothers to be consuming organic dairy products like organic yogurts, milk, and cheese, protecting children from ailments such as asthma. And because we have such, oh, I mean, just sobering rates of childhood allergy and asthma, and of course, th- those conditions related to so many other conditions. Good news uh, out of the Netherlands. Organic dairy goods may help protect children from both allergies and eczema. Well, this is a major study, and I hope it's just because it's early. Why didn't we see it anywhere in this country? There has been an influential U.S. study suggesting that the long-term use of um, drugs like Ritalin and Concerta these are the drugs used to treat attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, could stunt children's growth. And now a study funded by the BBC says drugs such as Ritalin and Concerta in the long term work no better than just simple psychological therapy. Apparently there was a study done in, in this country that indicated that in a year's time, children with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder did better on medication than those on therapy. Now the multimodal uh, treatment study of children with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder has been monitoring the treatment of many hundred children with ADHD across the U.S. since the 1990s. And what they have but found Is that drugs for ADHD, quote, are not the answer? That we have exaggerated the beneficial impact of medication as found in the first study, and finding in the long term that uh, treating ADHD with drugs was no better than standard therapies after three years, and these drugs now linked to heart attacks and strokes linked to uh, retardation of children's growth, linked to uh, cancer. Certainly those risks not to be taken lightly. So only the BBC News today proclaiming that drugs for ADHD, not the answer. And of course, if you want to read the entire news story, you can find it at our website, HealthyTalkRadio.com. Well, it was an academic collaboration. University of Pittsburgh, and University of California Santa Barbara these two researchers using data from the US national center for health statistics found that a child's performance on cognition tests in other words a child's mental performance was linked to their mother's waist hip ratio what are we saying that curvier women have smart children because their hip fat contains those polyunsaturated fatty acids critical for the development of the fetus's brain. We have not pushed DHA or EPA, essential fatty acid supplementation for pregnant women. In fact, uh, we just recently were one of the last industrialized countries to mandate it in infant formula. It is key in terms of the, bra- the baby's brain and visual development, key to reducing the incidence of postpartum depression, and what this published research, this is just intriguing, was all published in Evolution in Human Behavior, and of course you'll find it at our website, HealthyTalkRadio.com, that children whose mothers had wide hips and low waist-to-hip ratio, in other words, um, their hips were wider than their waist, scored the highest suggesting that unborn babies benefit from a rich supply of useful fatty acids. Interesting indeed. Well, speaking of kiddos, this is sobering information that the United States has more neonatologists and more newborn intensive care beds per person than just about any other industrialized countries, but has a higher rate of infant mortality than those very nations. In fact, the U.S. ranked near the bottom for infant survival rates among modernized nations ahead only of Latvia. Shame on us. Tied with Hungary, Malta, Poland, and Slovakia, and many of the other industrialized countries head and shoulders above us in terms of the rate at which infants die here in the U.S. The U.S. ranking among the worst in world for infant death. So where do all those health care dollars go? I mean, it just begs the question. Absolutely. Well, it has been a regular topic of buzz in um, some of the major newspapers across the country, including the New York Times uh, style section. Does going organic when it comes to your personal care products make a difference? We recently talked with representatives from the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics indicating there's a growing body of evidence to suggest if you can't read the label because those chemical names are just tongue twisters, and then, of course, what are they? Why are they there? Could they be harmful, plaguing even the most savvy consumer these days? Well, we talked uh, with Stacey Malkin, author of the just published book Not to uh, Not So Pretty. We've talked with notable experts in this uh, area, including Aubrey Hampton of Aubrey Organics, who has written a number of books. In fact, uh, he offers a little dictionary um, at Aubrey Organics. Their number, I think, it's 1-800 Aubrey H A U B R E Y H, to help you decipher these cosmetic or personal care product labels indicating that you can make cosmetics in an organic fashion without the chemicals. Do we care? Well, a new study out by the British uh, Organic Monitor finds that 89% of buyers of, of uh, personal care products say that avoiding synthetic chemicals was very important to them. 89% of buyers of natural personal care products state that avoiding synthetic chemicals was very important to them. We now recognize that we live in a sea of chemicals. According to government-funded studies, uh, some 75,000 are in our respective environments on a daily basis. We are indeed the experiment. We certainly don't know the consequences of exposure to them, much less the combinations of exposure so a growing number of consumers saying whether it's the food I eat, what's under my bathroom's and kitchen sink, or in my bathroom medicine chest does make a difference. Eighty-nine percent of buyers of natural personal care products stating that avoiding synthetic chemicals was very important to them. We'll be back with Pam Popper joining us today at the bottom of the hour talking about uh, state's news relating to health care freedom, we invite you to join us right here on Healthy Talk Radio. I'm Deborah Ray.
0: America's first source for breaking health care news and up-to-the-minute healthcare information, Healthy Talk Radio with Deborah Ray and America's wellness doctor, Julian Whitaker, M.D.
1: Sorry, no America's wellness, Dr. Uh, Pam Popper, who is a well-known healthcare practitioner in the realm of naturopathy, joining us today at the bottom of the hour. And uh, Dr. Pam Popper, uh, very active in the American Association for Health Freedom, uh, particularly on the basis of her expertise and um, long experience in states' rights, and with yesterday's New York Times, a fascinating article, consumers won't know what they're missing, focusing on the fact that uh, as of January the 1st, Pennsylvania is banning labels on milk and dairy products that say it comes from cows that haven't been treated with uh, with human bovine growth hormone. Uh, that, According to the uh, New York Times, the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture has decided that consumers, you and me, are too dim to make their own shopping decisions and that agriculture officials in Ohio are also contemplating a similar decision. So what happens on a state-by-state basis very important to you and me who prize our health care freedom. Before we get to that, though, British doctors indicating over the weekend that many strokes lead to a major stroke within a week in one out of 20 people and should be treated as medical emergencies. That people immediately treated for small strokes, those TIAs, transient ischemic attacks, ischemic meaning lack of blood flow, little blood clot forms, Prevents uh, blood from flowing. You have a lack of blood flow and some damage because of that lack of blood flow. Uh, TIA. That people who did absolutely nothing about a mini stroke, a TIA, had 11% risk of a major stroke within a risk within a week. So the take home message is here: uh, lower your risk of inflammation. Pay attention to factors like fibrinogen. Inflammation and fibrinogen can easily be assessed by blood test. But more than that, know how you recognize the risk factors of an inflammatory lifestyle that lead to a higher risk of clots that lead to a higher risk of stroke. Because the take home message is you are at risk of strokes no matter what your age. In fact, we have as many strokes in the young as we do with people in their 7th and 8th decade of life. So what sets the stage? Obviously, an inflammatory lifestyle that triggers that clotting process, leads to stickier blood, more platelets aggregating, more clots and more strokes so how do you get around that you need to mind your weight obesity equals inflammation an interesting study in the International Journal of Nutrition revealed that 100% of people who who were obese had high levels of inflammation in their bloodstream that meant stickier blood that meant more clots and possibly more stroke so more fruits and vegetables means less inflammation. More regular activity, less inflammation. Less overweight or obese, less inflammation. There are certainly factors like garlic, ginger, curry, cold water fish. All of those are key factors in less inflammation, less clots, and a lower risk of a stroke. We find that even factors like magnesium... Because they help them dilate blood vessels and drive 300 of our body's chemical reactions, magnesium, a key mineral. Yet so many of us hear that mass market message of calcium, calcium, and more calcium, when the more proper message would be more magnesium, more vitamin D, more fish oil, throw in some garlic, curry, and ginger... And then start taking a look at other important nutrients. And you particularly come to this conclusion if you go to the Centers for Disease Control's website, cdc.gov, look up the National Health and Nutrition Exam Surveys. You'll see it abbreviated as NHANES. Sobering statistics that about 90% of Americans fatty acid deficient and what we find is up to 80% of Americans don't get enough magnesium as well as other key vitamins and minerals to make a difference. So why it's a little sobering to hear that many strokes lead to a major stroke within one week in one out of 20 people. Now you know that when it comes to um, information about reducing our risk of stroke, There is much information that empowers us to make better decisions. Maintain an ideal weight. Get regular activity. You don't have to... Go to the gym, change your clothes, (laughs) exercise for an hour, shower, change your clothes again and think, oh my goodness, I just don't have the time to do this on a regular basis. Everything counts. Eat more fruits and vegetables. It can make a huge difference. And then focus on all of those factors that naturally modulate inflammation. What are you doing to make sure that you get enough of the good fats today? You could get that from ground flax, from walnuts, from cold-water fish, particularly focusing on the low-mercury fish, from fish oil supplements. And again, know your product to be able to choose wisely. And then take advantage of all those ethnic uh, spices that make a difference to modulate inflammation. Ginger, garlic, curry, can make huge differences in terms of modulating inflammation. And some of the latest information just out last week indicating you have higher body stores of vitamin D. Yes, that's important this time of the year when it gets dark much uh, faster, when that sun is much lower on the horizon. You know, Just over the weekend was a major report out of Great Britain indicating that up to 80% of the Brits are vitamin D deficient. I've seen uh, estimations from researchers in this country indicating it's about 60% of all Americans if you're over the age of 60. Particular risk for vitamin D deficiency because 75% of women, 63% of men, vitamin D deficient. And with the recent study out of Hawaii, taking a look at young people who were out in the sun a couple hours a week, showing that they did not have optimal vitamin D status. So what are you going to do? We know that at the equator, there is virtually no vitamin D deficiency. We see ethnic um, uh, communities like the Inuit Eskimos with virtually no vitamin D deficiency. Of course, they're getting lots of vitamin D from their diet which is primarily consuming uh, fat and livers from marine animals that concentrate vitamin D, at the equator where vitamin D deficiency is virtually unknown, Dr. Colleen Hayes, University of Wisconsin-Madison, who has done fascinating research indicating more vitamin D deficiency higher latitudes. In other words, we're talking about cities like Boston and Chicago and Seattle, more vitamin D deficiency, more autoimmune disease. In fact, she has found a very positive clinical effect of vitamin D supplementation on helping to prevent and even reverse multiple sclerosis. Her admonition is at the equator where vitamin D deficiency is virtually unknown the equivalent of four to five thousand international units of vitamin D daily. We're going to return. Pam Hopper is our special guide today. She is all about health care freedom. She is a noted healthcare practitioner, uh doctor of naturopathy and nutrition. We'll talk about some key states issues. As they relate to health care freedom, inviting you to join us at 1-800-307-3002 right here on Healthy Talk Radio. The
0: information on Healthy Talk Radio may be eye opening, controversial, and disturbing to some closed minded members of the medical community, but it is all well documented and presented by credentialed guests as well as our knowledgeable host. It may not represent the views of this network, this radio station, or its sponsors, but hey, that's life. <laughs>
1: You're listening to Healthy Talk Radio, where we focus each and every week uh, during this time all about health freedom. Our partners in this mission are the American Association for Health Freedom. They have a terrific website at healthfreedom.net. If you're not on the web, they have a toll-free number, which is 1-800-230-2762. And joining us today is a well-known expert, not only in terms of you and me as health care consumers, what happens on a state level, as well as a national level, She is a doctor of naturopathy, a clinical nutritionist, the executive director of the Wellness Forum, teaching you and me how to change our health outcomes. She's Dr. Pam Popper, who joins us today. Pam, hello and welcome.
2: Well, thank you, Deborah, for inviting me to be on your show. I always enjoy it.
1: Well, and I always know, Pam, uh, that the answers are there if, if, you're, if you're listening. And with yesterday's New York Times Soapbox focusing on what's happening on state-by-state basis, um, consumers won't know what they're missing. What they're talking about is that the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture has decided that, quote, consumers are too dim to make their own shopping decisions, agriculture officials, and <laughs> <laughs> or contemplating a similar decision, unquote. Give us some insight to you know how how our care decisions are affected on a state by state basis, please, Pam.
2: Well, the, the unfortunate part about this is that this attitude that you're talking about is so pervasive. I mean, the, the government thinks that they should that it should be able to make your decisions for you. And I've actually heard testimony in front of legislative committees on behalf of some of the licensure boards and that sort of thing that that um, People are confused when they're given too many choices, so we should just give them one, and then they won't have to worry about it. So, as ludicrous as that sounds, that's the belief system that uh, really is kind of pervasive here. So, basically, how this translates to healthcare choices for individuals is that um, most states have licensure laws and license a handful of healthcare occupations. You know, doctors and dieticians and dentists and. I'm not opposed to licensure laws. That's really not where the issue is. The problem is that these laws not only license these healthcare professions, but they keep competitors out. So if you're a dietitian, for example, in Ohio or Michigan or someplace like that, you're fine. But if you're a certified clinical nutritionist or an herbalist, you're really prohibited from being in practice legally because you are not a dietitian. And so as a consumer in one of these states, if you want to consult with somebody who is trained in alternative health and maybe has a different point of view, it's not like you can open up the yellow pages and find these people because um, you don't advertise and make yourself known when what you do is ranges someplace from a fourth degree misdemeanor to a fourth degree felony uh, just for being in practice. So not only is this a bad situation for practitioners like me, but it's a terrible situation for consumers who are increasingly unhappy with traditional medicine and saying, gosh, I'd sure like to be doing something else, but finding that something else can be challenging.
1: Now, I'm uh, reminded because uh, for, for for many years it was the prime target of a topic of conversation and uh, of importance in our household, my late husband, um, uh, listeners may know, Pam fought the Board of Medicine. Gee, from 1979 <laughs> until his his passing in 2003, uh, uh, they really kind of filed away the charges in 1997. After many years of battling, in fact, uh, we lost everything twice in those battles. 1,700 charges before the Florida Board of uh, Medicine. None of them for for bad patient care, uh, all of them for practicing, quote, outside the norm for the practice of medicine for the state of Florida. But I continue to be reminded by many of those Board of Medicine meetings in which I sat, Pam, and I welcome your insight because I heard time and again uh, these individuals on the the State Board of Medicine, political appointees, say, we know what's best for the consumer, <laughs> And I would just, I mean, it was an eye-opening experience, Pam.
2: Well, you bring up a, another very interesting point, and that is that doctors, even if you're a licensed professional, you can be investigated for doing something different. And rarely are the are the investigations started because a consumer calls and says to the medical board, you know, I got bad treatment from this doctor. It's usually that uh, another physician or even the insurance companies will turn doctors in to the medical board and say this guy or or this gal is doing something different so you ought to go check it out and then the person is pursued not because anybody got hurt or there's anything wrong but basically because they're doing something different and this has a chilling effect on medical practice and you know we hear people all the time saying why why doesn't my doctor have an interest in alternative medicine why doesn't he want to discuss this stuff well you can imagine a physician in florida watching what happened to your husband saying to himself or herself that i just don't think i want to go through all that so I'll just straighten up, fly right, do the traditional thing and, and prescribe drugs and do procedures, and boy, I'm not going to let myself get in trouble like that. But where this comes from is the Federation of State Medical Boards and the individual medical boards in these states essentially setting themselves up as the gatekeepers for what they think is appropriate in terms of medical care. And it's not based on scientific evidence. It's not based on patient preference. It's based on uh, really, I think, turf protection we want to protect the status quo in medicine we want to protect the pharmaceutical companies and the device makers and the hospitals and and everybody who's involved in this giant money making machine uh, you know and i sound a little bit like a conspiracy theorist when i when i say these things but you know if you take a look at the files and i've seen a lot of them not just in ohio where i live but in states You know, all over the country, if you start looking at these files, it doesn't take you long to arrive at the same conclusion when you see that, uh, the complaints, if you even want to call them that, are trumped up by individuals who have a vested interest in the system.
1: Now take that one step further, Pam, because we have seen uh, some eye-opening cases around the country where, uh, particularly when parents sought to uh, look outside traditional mainstream medicine in this country for health care challenges for their children, that um, they found that they were often battling social services just because they wanted to choose what they felt was right for their parents in opposition to what uh, perhaps their traditional medical doctor was recommending
2: actually that's very true and there was a a big case that a lot of people know about earlier this year it started last year the Abraham Cherix case in Virginia where parents wanted to take their 16 year old for alternative cancer treatment which by the way ultimately worked but um, uh, the the, the oncologist got upset and reported the family to Child Protective Services and there's another case going on I just found out about this over the weekend in California very similar A, a woman took her 17 year old son for alternative treatment for melanoma which also worked and even though the child is cancer-free, the state is pursuing her for gross negligence and child endangerment and that sort of thing because she defied the advice of the oncologist and would not agree to the surgery or the chemotherapy that was recommended. So we, have, um, we did uh, get a law passed in Virginia that will keep this from happening again there, but we have 49 other states where parents do not have medical authority over their children. The state thinking they know what's best, <laughs> which is which, just defy. I mean, you know, when I tell these stories to people, they look at you like you flew in from Mars. This can't yeah, be true. This is yeah. the United States of America. Certainly, my minor child, I get to make the decisions there, but that's right. really not the way it is.
1: So, knowing that that ultimately, uh, we have the opportunity on a state by state basis uh, with uh, legislation like Access to Medical Treatment Act. Um, you know what? What are you up to? What is the American Association for Health Freedom up to? What can we all be up to to make a difference, Pam?
2: Well, what we're doing—we have to fight this battle in, on, on two different levels. One is we have to be involved in state laws because that's where practice is regulated. That's where medical doctors are licensed. That's where naturopaths are prosecuted for practicing. So we have to deal with this at the state level and change laws there. We also have to deal with it at the federal level. And you mentioned the Access to Medical Treatment Act, which we've introduced several times. We have another uh, another similar law that we think we'll introduce next year that would allow patients in the United States to access treatments that have been proven to be effective in other countries. In some countries where the the restrictions and the burden of proof is significantly better than here, but the treatments are, are illegal here in the United States. So we have to work at it at both the federal and the state level. And what people can do to help us is to join the association, join the American Association for Health Freedom. Um, you can go to our website and join both the both your state organization and uh, the national association and support efforts to change the laws in both areas. But that's ultimately the solution. We can file lawsuits and and people can fight back. But as you mentioned, you and your husband lost everything in, in the process of fighting. So it's almost like even if you win, you lose. So that's not really the way to tackle this in terms of long-term solution to the problem. The long-term solution is legislative reform.
1: Because, you know, how many people uh, think that they have limited treatment options and now we're seeing in very visible, um, you know, consumer media choices that, for example, heart disease. I mean, just last year there was a World Congress on Cardiology in Barcelona, Spain, and a Canadian university professor stood up and said, Heart disease is man-made, and, and the science backs him up. Yet, you know, modern medicine in this country continues to look at heart disease as a as a structural uh, a problem, a plumbing problem. In fact, uh, there was a very interesting article that quoted a preventive cardiologist out of Emory in a major uh, uh, newspaper in this country, who said, when it comes to the science, there's a real disconnect in clinical practice in this country, Pam.
2: Oh, absolutely. And and to take it even a step further, you know, I, I tell people every day, cardiovascular disease is not a statin drug deficiency. <laughs> That's not where this comes from. It's diet and lifestyle and that sort of thing. But um, I have a good friend who's a, a well-known physician up at the Cleveland Clinic who has a great track record in reversing cardiovascular disease using uh, dietary intervention and keeping patients who are deemed terminal alive for decades. And the rule at the Cleveland Clinic is that employees of Cleveland Clinic can go to him for treatment, but they can't refer patients because bypass surgery and all of these uh, pharmaceutical treatments are such a great profit center for the hospital that they can't afford to have the patients coming in see him. And, and isn't that horrendous? I mean, as a, as a potential patient at Cleveland Clinic, doesn't that make you angry?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
2: great you... alternatives are available, but you just don't always get to know about them. <laughs>
1: So you know, c- consumers who who want to make a difference, who you know speak up to their doctors. Um, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of recently, Dr. Beatrice Gollum, now the University of California, San Diego, who had the courage of her convictions to start the website statinsideeffects.com, who recently published in in the you know the peer review literature that 70 percent of the time when people uh, thought that they were having a side effect from a statin drug, told their doctors, they were blown off by saying, couldn't be the statin drug. (laughs)
2: Right. Right. And one of the reasons for that is that the education about drugs and treatments and that sort of thing is coming from the pharmaceutical companies. You know, 75% of all continuing education programs for doctors are paid for and underwritten by pharmaceutical companies. So. You've got um, you've got the reps doing the educating, and, of course, they're not educating about the side effects. They're educating about the benefits of the drugs. So we have a lot of doctors, and they're well-meaning. I, I guess I should insert that. I think there are a lot of well-meaning people in medicine that just haven't had the opportunity to understand all sides of the issue. But be that as it may, they're giving out very bad advice to their patients because they really don't have the knowledge that they need to practice properly, in my opinion.
1: So to, to make a difference on, on state by state basis, you are actively involved in, in your respective state in terms of, of lobbying. Um, you know what can all of us do? Uh, knowing that all of us uh, have respective uh, you know uh, state boards of, of medicine. You know some states have have made some dramatic changes. So, you know we've talked here on the air about how California even disbanded a board of <laughs> of dentistry because they refused to uh, to acknowledge the science and the legislation. You know, can that be done on a state by state basis, Pam?
2: Yeah, absolutely, and and there are so many things that people can do. And the the beginning of this whole thing is to get involved with the state association because that's where the work has to be done. And I tell people, here here are, here is a laundry list of things that you can do: join the association. Make sure that you're registered to vote, and you're holding your elected officials accountable for their opinions and their votes on these kinds of issues, because um, a lot of laws, like the, the you know laws that protect. Um, medical doctors, but go after naturopaths, those laws are passed by representatives and senators who've never heard from anybody. They've heard from the doctors that want this type of, of um, regulation, but they never hear from the consumers and the other types of doctors that would like for the laws to be construed differently. So you have to make your voice heard. So make sure your senator and your state representative know who you are and know where you stand on this issue. Another thing that's very effective is going to the medical board meetings and the, the dental board meetings and the dietetics board meetings and making your your presence known a lot of the stuff that these boards do is not quite as much fun when it's done in public as when it's done when nobody's watching so just having a presence there is very important trying to get people appointed to these boards who have a a different and better point of view is a way that you can help and then of course as you build your association and and build the numbers of people and your financial resources working at changing the laws is very very important And and we can help. As a a national association, we can help. We can help draft the laws. We can provide advice, help prepare testimony, lots of things that we can do to help. But you have to have that local presence. You know, here in Ohio, for example, Deborah, if you wrote a letter to my state representative telling what you think about this, they'd probably read it. But it doesn't mean as much as it means coming from me because I'm a constituent. And they're answerable Mm -hmm. to me. They're not answerable to you, which is why it's so important for people to be involved in local politics.
1: We'll come back. There's more. Dr. Pam Popper joining us today. Very, very interesting background. She is uh, active on a local, a state, a a nationwide basis, helping all of us to not only change our diet and our lifestyle habits because that affects our health care outcomes, taking a look at how cost-effective that is and taking a look at the politics of health (laughs) care that may affect that as well. Pam Popper joining us today, all about health freedom on Healthy Talk Radio.
0: She's been doing this for over 20 years, and she isn't going to stop until everyone gets it. Now, more Healthy Talk Radio with Deborah Ray.
1: Pamela Popper joining us today. She is the president, uh, the executive director of the Wellness Forum, uh, a naturopath nutritionist deeply involved uh, both on a personal, professional, local, state, and nationwide basis about health freedom. We're talking about some of those actions around the state. Are the key states that perhaps people are listening to us uh, that we may want to log on to healthfreedom.net to find out more, Pam?
2: Well, everybody should be concerned about this issue. And the the fact that something's not going on in your state right now doesn't mean that you're safe. Because what we see happening is, um, you know, people will say, well, nothing really is going on in such and such a state. Doctors are pretty safe to practice here. And it may be because the medical board just hasn't had a chance to go after those doctors yet. or um, It it changes. And unless, unless laws are changed that permanently protect people, we're going to have problems. So I would tell everybody out there there is no state in which I can say it's safe to practice, whether you're a naturopath or a medical doctor. Only one state, and that's Virginia, where parents are maintaining medical authority over their children, but gosh, there are other issues to deal with in Virginia. So I would say anybody listening to this, doesn't matter what state you're in, you need to go to healthfreedom.net, join the state organization and the national organization simultaneously so you can participate in this effort to make things safe for everybody and to retain your right to choose. You know, as a consumer... We all assume that because we have a naturopath or an herbalist or we've got a doctor that does chelation therapy, we take for granted that we're going to be able to go have these services provided at any point in time. But the reality is at any point in time, that can be interrupted if one of these state boards decides that they're going to target that doctor or that practitioner. So if we want to preserve our rights as consumers, you know, I have a vested interest in this in this as a practitioner, obviously, but I'm also a consumer of these services. So I'm fighting to protect my right to take care of my body the way I want to because I don't want the state making that decision for me. I think it's a fundamental issue of do we want government to mm-hmm. be a parent or a referee, i'm okay with the referee thing, but i don't want government to be my parent
1: <laughs> and key particularly in election year, Pam, where so many of of the the uh, you know election candidate pa- platforms have to do with government involvement in, in health care i mean it's 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 scary on many levels pam
2: it really is and and we need less government involvement in everything as far as i'm concerned, but we certainly need less government involved in health care i mean the, the the way that you take care of yourself and the and the choices that you make about your body are very very personal to you and and everybody listening to this show this morning should feel like they should retain the right to make those decisions i mean I, it, it makes me angry that the medical board in the state of ohio thinks that they know what's better for me or for my family or for my kids than than i know that that's just a level of arrogance it's almost hard to fathom
1: Oh, better yet, the New York Times is saying, have decided consumers are too dim to make their own shopping decisions. Should Doesn't that rep- make
2: you angry? Just to think <laughs> that, that, that we're all such dimwits that we need for somebody else to choose for us. I, I mean, that just in, makes me a sense uh, as a consumer.
1: A rallying cry for all of us. Pam, great information. Thank you.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: I'm Deborah Ray, reminding you, live long, stay healthy.